a close call with death. Have you had one? I have. I've actually had a lot of them, but who's counting? In this podcast, we'll be talking about events involving myself and others who have come dangerously close to death and have the great luck or destiny to elude death and carry on. Today, I'm with Larry Myler. I've known Larry for a few years now as a neighbor and a friend. I've come to know when uh, we moved here to the New Day Daybreak neighborhood in here in Utah five years ago now. So recently, Larry's had a close call with death with a nearly fatal heart attack he suffered over the holidays and the end of a horrible 2020 COVID and earthquake impacted year. So re- recently, Larry and I were talking and I told him about this podcast series and he informed me that he's actually had like four close calls with death. So we're going to talk to Larry about his journey now. So Larry, welcome, and um, thank you for being here with us. Thank you. It's good to be alive and here with you. <laughs> exactly. Seriously, if you were dead, we wouldn't be having this That's conversation. That's right. It would be very difficult. Right. So tell us about yourself, okay. please. Well, I'm a real estate developer, and I've um, been married 39 years. I have three kids, seven grandkids, and I'm just happy to be here and talk about life and death with you. That's fantastic. Good. Thank you. Um Tell us about your close call with death, okay. your first one. The first one happened at age 15, and this was a different world than it is now. Back then, our parents would just drop us off or let us go and whatever, right? So my mom drove myself and three of my friends uh, down to the mountains of California where we, were, we lived in Orange County, and we drove down south towards San Diego and went to some uh, campgrounds there, and we decided to have three or four nights, just the, just the four 15-year-olds. With guns. Well, that's the punchline. We had, we had lots of guns. We had high-powered rifles. We had big pistols. We had shotguns. And, you know, we just all kind of enjoyed shooting. And so um, my parents thought it was an okay idea to have 15-year-olds. Why not? <laughs> Paramilitary 15-year-olds. So there we were. And uh, we were hiking around the hills and shooting things, and it was just um, Shangri-La for 15-year-old boys. Well, here's what happened, though. My friend Jesse and my friend Daryl got into an argument, and this was on a hike with guns in hand. And it started escalating to the point where they actually, believe it or not, pointed their loaded weapons at each other. Daryl had a 12-gauge shotgun. <laughs> Jesse had a 357 Magnum pistol. And they were really seriously getting into it. Now, I didn't think at the time, I, I just didn't think they could possibly actually shoot each other mm-hmm. or one of them could shoot the other. But So I, I stepped in between them and I said, guys, hang on. Let's not do this. Now, while I was saying those things, Daryl had a 12-gauge pointed at my back, and Jesse had a 357 pointed at my heart. So after a little bit of calming them down, it worked. They actually lowered their weapons and said, yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah. Ah, what were we thinking? Let's not shoot Larry today. Well, let's not shoot Larry, and let's not shoot each other. So we moved on, and we killed squirrels and trees and things instead. But that, that's not the end of the story. At age 15, 
I did not know how close to dying I was in that moment. What did you think in that moment, though? You know, when you had a gun pointed at your chest, what what went through your mind? Well, what went through my mind was, I just got to calm these guys down and everything will be fine. Did you ever think he's really going to pull the trigger and kill I had no clue or inclination at all that that could happen. There was no way. I wouldn't have stepped between them had I known that one or both of them might have actually killed me or Mm -hmm. each other. But anyway, I just didn't want it to escalate any further. So I did what I did. And at age 15, we all went along our merry way, having a great camp out and shooting lots of things. So it wasn't until six years later, I'm now 21. I'm traveling abroad. I come back after a couple of years and I look up my friend, Glenn. Glenn was also on that trip. Glenn is Jesse's older brother. And I was catching up with Glenn and saying, Glenn, what's going on? What's happening with everyone? And what's happening with Jesse, his brother, who had pointed a 357 Magnum at my heart? And Glenn told me the sad story that Jesse, his wife, worked at the telephone company. And she was having an affair with a coworker. And Jesse took a 357 Magnum pistol into the phone company, shot and killed his wife's lover, went outside in front of the building, pointed the 357 at his heart, and killed himself. So at that moment in time, my mind went back to that 15-year-old experience where Jesse had a 357 pointed at my heart, and I realized at age 21 how close I was to death at age 15. And I could easily have been killed in that because Jesse had a, the temperament and a temper and, um, and, and the ability to get mad enough to kill somebody. Um, so that, that kind of sunk in really fast when I heard that story at age 21. I can only imagine. So when we, at that moment, when, when you went through that retrospective, you know, evaluation of your life and you were thinking what could have happened when you were 15 and i mean did that just really set heavy in inside of you did what what did you what did it make you feel like what was going through your mind at that hmm. point of i was sad what could have been i mean i was really sad for jesse and his wife and that other guy that got killed i mean it's just i was it was devastating to think of the tragedy of that and then i thought well gosh that could have been daryl had I not stepped could in between them. Easily. And it could have been me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I uh, you know, it all hit me kind of at one, one time as I heard the story. Um, but it made me think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty um, lucky and fortunate that um, acting precipitously as I did at age 15 didn't get me killed, right? Sure. Maybe even saved Daryl. So I was, I was glad about all that. But, you know, when you realize how close you came to, to death, I thought, well, how was my life? What has my life been like since 15? It's been great. Six years has been really wonderful. Six years. I yeah. would have missed that, you know? And, and so I wouldn't have the, my, all my future years. And so it was just a, it was a big shock. And I suddenly felt very thankful for life, very grateful that I have had those five years and, and would have more years. Um, would you have done the same thing over again? 
I, knowing what I know, I might have done it from the side. I might have talked to them and not get in the line of fire. Just ages you develop um, wisdom. Right. And, and, you know, later on getting married, having kids, I, you start being careful about yourself and prolonging your life at all costs to, help, to take care of your family. And I, um, but, you know, now here I am 62 and I, I'd probably step in front of a bullet a little, <laughs> a little bit easier now that I did it at age, say, 30 with kids and wife and everything. So anyway, I don't plan on stepping in front of any bullets. That's Good, not no, what I'm saying, but right. um, I think it's... Glad uh, that's out of your way. It, I was glad that I, that I possibly helped back when I did, and I was very frightened that I might have been, easily might have been killed at that moment. For it's sure. Shocking. Uh. Okay, so... Uh, Thank goodness you're, you made it through that. Yes. And then your life got uh, even more interesting and more stories of close to death. Well, so now here I am married, and I've got a friend named Richard, and, and we don't have any kids at this time. We're just newly married. And how old, how old were you then? I was, I'm in the 20, probably 25, okay. and just a couple of years married, no kids. And so uh, we decided to, to go on a road trip and go to central Utah and just see some sites that we had been hearing about and reading about. About what time of year? And this was wintertime. So we, we were driving along, and, and the, the problem was I had this car that had a fuel injection problem. What kind of car? It was a BMW 520e. Really kind of super powerful, not super powerful, but kind of nice, you know. I mean, I was and and but it was it was acting up at, at the previous days and it wouldn't it was sporadic and intermittent. It would what happened was the the fuel injector would just kind of kick in and and the car would act like you're stepping on the gas, but you're not stopping on the gas, stepping on the gas, right? And so, um, but it was it happened a day or two later, it happened again. I was going to go and get it fixed, it was actually a recall, it would have been a free fix. Um, but I was on this trip in the wintertime with my friend Richard um, through the back country of Utah. And um, the roads were kind of icy, and it was now getting dark, and we're heading home. Well, here, let me set the stage. So we, come, we start coming over this little hill down into this little valley. And it's not huge. It's, you know, maybe uh, a mile long, this mm-hmm. little valley. and um, Very steep. And it was, it was somewhat steep, but not terrible. But I noticed that in the shade, um, the, the roads had frozen, the ice had formed on the roads. And the, this phenomenon that I talked about, the fuel injection started doing its thing, right? And all of a sudden, the power, and this was a back, this was a rear wheel drive car. So mm-hmm. the rear wheels spun loose with this extra, you know, fuel injection thing that was happening. And it spun the, the backside of the car over to the left. So like in the oncoming lane, right? Now there was no one oncoming at the time, but I thought, oh my gosh. And I corrected gently, can't put on the brakes, can't overcorrect, you've, you'll start spinning. So I, I tried to do my, did my best to, to not overcorrect it, but just to get that, that rear end, that rear of the car to, to back come in back lane. into my lane. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, it went past where it should have gone and it spun over to the, to the right side of my lane, right? And yeah. so, I'm, so I'm kind of now correcting it to bring it. I'm trying to get it back in straight, in, in straight line um, in my lane. But it went back over to now the backside is on the oncoming lane again. Mm-hmm. And, and it, this just went back and forth a couple of times. And then down the other side of this little valley is coming toward us now. I can see it off in the distance, not too far off, half mile or something, right? It's a big semi-truck. 
of all things. And it can't it's stop. Not just it a car. can't turn. It's, it's, it's the ice semi. is going to affect it if it does anything sure. other than just come straight. So I'm alternately going, my back end is going in front of where the truck will go in a second. Yep. And back over in my lane. And I'm trying, just trying, just trying to correct it just enough, but I can't keep it from kind of going a little too far. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what the timing's like, but we've got a 50-50 chance of living or dying right now. Because this truck is coming and we're going toward it down this hill and it's coming down the hill. We're going to meet somewhere in the, near the bottom of this little valley. And I said, Richard, pray. And Richard started nice praying. Order. Richard started praying loudly. You know, there out loud, not just to himself. Oh, not out, yeah, out loud. Yes, this, there, there are no atheists in a foxhole, and we were both very much believers in that moment. And <clears throat> man, I'll never forget as as this swinging left and right happened a couple more times before we were the truck was onto us. I will never forget the the back of the car swung over right into his lane. And I turned to the left, and I looked at him coming you right at us. You could see the driver's face I by now. I could see him. The headlights were, you know, it was kind of darkish. It was yeah, yeah. a little darker than dusk, but not quite all the way dark. And um, I saw this truck coming at us, and man, it was getting close. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to correct it again so I can swing, you know. It was just a matter of timing. I couldn't control the timing of when we were swinging left and when we were swinging right on the back right. end. All I you could do is just all I could do is just just do one and then the other. That was all I could do, and and so uh, I'm looking at this guy coming at us as I'm correcting it, and the back of the car goes back over to the right side of my lane, and the truck passes us right by you, right by me. And after it went past us, I was correcting again, and you know the back of the car went over into the oncoming lane right after he had just right passed. after he left. And it was the most perfect timing oh you could imagine, and. Afterwards, we said a big amen to that prayer because apparently, what a great prayer. it worked! <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, yeah. You know what? We should interview that trucker uh, because he he had a close call with death right there on, of his he, own. He had a close call with the death of me and Richard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that, that semi would have he wouldn't he would have been pretty much un, undamaged, and oh. we, we would have been uh, scrap metal. So, yep. So you are so lucky. Yes. Do you think? Um, what, what do you think? happened in that moment do you think absolutely you were saved do you think it was just luck do you think um what do you think happened just in in the in the whole scheme of things do you think it wasn't time for larry to go do you think maybe well, your life was, yeah. was spared there good question i mean i i personally believe in god whether he intervened at that moment or didn't need to i don't know i don't know if it's just dumb luck timing because we had, like I say, 50-50 chance at sure, that, that, sure. on that event. But um, I, I do believe in God. I, I, I believe if he wants you to continue living, he'll intervene. Mm -hmm. And I, I think he has uh, done that for many people, myself included. But on, on that particular event, there was just such a feeling of um, panic when it was happening and such a feeling of relief after it ended well. Um, it was just two very, very opposite emotions hap happening within a, a second of each I, other. You know what? I have to ask you this because there's probably lots of people out here listening to you that um, will want to know this. Did you scream like a girl? No. Okay. Uh, I didn't even scream like a, a, man. a man. Nothing. You I, didn't scream. I didn't, you, I didn't did scream. Did you moan, groan, swear? No. Nothing. It was complete no. silence there as was, you almost faced your death. No, I was silent. It was, it was Richard Prey. Calm. I was, I was, 
I don't, I think I was kind of panicked, but at the same time, kind of calm, if that makes sense. Yeah. I was concentrating on the only thing I could do physically, which was keep from spinning. I had no control. Yeah. And, and try to get that back end to come back in the lane and stay there rather than go left and right to, you know, 90 degree Oh, you angles. were so lucky. Very lucky. Did you have to change your trousers? No. That's, that's incredible. Seriously, you were kind of heroic in that moment and, uh, <laughs> wow. and, and super fortunate. You know, I don't know. I'm lucky, lucky. I don't know if I could have made it through that uh, without having just a little bit of loss of bodily functions, you know, in, in that moment. But, well, there but was you, adrenaline. You did. There was you know? adrenaline. I, yeah, I guess so if yeah, I had checked my hand, in your, yeah, my hands would have well. been, you know, shaking probably yeah, somewhat. Yeah. But. But, but there was a, okay, tell me, uh, you and Richard, uh, going up the hill, you slowed down, um, at that moment, what was your thoughts that went through your mind? The moment of reflection, what did you think at that moment? So at, at, from that moment forward in my life, I've always had a sense of living on borrowed time. Okay. Like the time is not my own anymore and it matters more what I do with the time. And so um, that's a lesson that I learned then and I've had to relearn several times just as I think and reflect sure. about it and have d- different events happen in my life. But that was a watershed moment after which I always had this sense that I can't dork around as much as I was. I can't be as selfish as I was. I can't be as insensitive as I was. And so it kind of changed me in that way. So it did change you and, yeah. and it caused you to maybe change your behaviors and, and the way yeah. that you lived life from that point on, right? Mm-hmm. I, I would say that's very true. And you didn't stay the old, old Larry. You, you really seriously were a different right. person after that. Well, it was, it was such uh, an intense experience that it's something I've reflected on a lot over the years. Okay, so... so. Another question for you. So then it wasn't just this short-lived change of Larry Myler. It it wasn't something that disappeared six months later, a year later. This is something that's kind of stayed with you the rest of your life so far up to this point. uh, The memory is indelibly um, burned into my my synapses in my brain for sure there's no question there's no question about that now having said that i'm human like everyone else i get sucked into um, different exigencies and problems and issues and challenges and things you know making a living and trying to trying to you know um, do all kinds of different things that have to do with me my family my situation and and all correct and so yeah i i have i've lost sight many times of you know what what is really what i ought to be doing what i should be doing what what i'm put on this earth to do and it's probably a lot more service and a lot more loving and forgiving of others than i've been able to do but i think i've been doing more of that because of that experience than i would have without the experience that makes that makes sense Uh, it does make sense and so that leads us to um, episode number three. Tell us where, where you went then. What, how old were you? What part of your life did this next one? Episode okay. three. Um, so I'm about 50 years old. I can't remember exactly which year it was. And I've, my brothers-in-law um, wanted to go on a fishing trip. They do a lot of fishing. It was a fishing trip to Alaska for silver salmon, fishing in, uh, in the Sayu River. And and so this one day we were out fishing and we were spread out around uh, along this this uh, narrow river probably thirty feet wide um, not too deep not too wide um, but a lot of salmon running through it so it was quite a cool experience and I'm all alone now in this little bend I can't see anyone of the brothers um, and elsewhere and I'm I'm just kind of there wading in I waited about ten feet off of shore off 
off the bank of one side into the into the river, and it was probably a little deeper than my waist. I was wearing um, um, uh, waders, and uh, they were chest waders, and I was just above the belt line in in this water. <clears throat> and I, I remember distinctly, I, I looked down in the water. I'm fishing, right? I looked down in the water, and the salmon. The water's crystal clear. The salmon swam right at me, almost hit my knee, and then turned 90 degrees and took off. And right behind it, there was a seal, a spotted seal that came right after it, almost hit my knee, and then turned. I thought, man, I am in the middle of nature. I am one with nature. This was such a cool experience. And uh, I continue fishing. And then across the river, so another 20 feet in front of me, is the bank, the other bank of the river. And um, then there's a, a little bit of a rise and a knoll. Um, so maybe, you know, 40 feet beyond the bank of the river is this, it just tops out on this little knoll. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting there fishing. And I look up and all of a sudden, coming over the knoll and stopping right, right on the horizon, right on top, two big grizzly bears. They came up to the, right there where they could see me and they stopped. And they did see you. Oh, yeah. They both, their eyes were right on me. So keep in mind, I got 20 feet of river and about 40 feet of, of land going up this little embankment. Mm-hmm. So, so they're 60 feet away. 60 feet they're 60 feet. And I, and I remember thinking, three bounds, they're at the edge of the river. Two more bounds, they've got me. If they want me. Yeah, you were doing the math me. to death. I was doing the, the math, yeah. <laughs> the deadly math. And I'll tell you what, I was thinking to myself, if they run, there's nothing I can do. I'm in the water. Even if I got out of the water and ran, they, they could catch me in a heart. If they in want... Per, in a pair of hip waders. So, so I thought you, that, you yeah. can't run very fast. I, well, yeah. And I thought to myself, well, plus they can go 35 miles an hour and I yeah. can't, right? So, yeah. so I'm thinking, if they charge me, it's game over. I'm done. And it was... I had this odd peace. And I kind of just accepted the fact that if they charge me, I'm a goner. And I thought, okay, well, it's not a bad way to go. Kind of a macho way to go. It was fishing in Alaska and ripped to shreds by the two grizzly bears. And I <laughs> yeah, thought, it's a great show and yeah, tell a story I mean, well, for your kids. It, well, it, yeah, it's kind of like, this is going to go for generations. I mean, okay. Right. It's a closed, so famous. It's a closed casket funeral. Definitely. We got that, you but not one yeah, open. But no. anyway, so, so just at the moment where I was making the calculation that if they charged me, I was dead, they charged me. They started Literally running down the hill at full speed. And again, this odd peace, peace. and calmness came over me like, okay, I, maybe they'll like take my head off quick or something. I mean, so I, anyway, they, and I was just standing there oddly calm, watching them run at me at full speed. And just as they got to the bank of the river, they stopped. And each of them slapped one paw into the edge of the water and pulled out a salmon. Why do you think they ran so fast? Because to the, the water? salmon are going, they're going down the stream and they timed it to come they, and get the salmon. They were running down to scare you to death. No. They were just going after the fish. Yeah. They, uh, this is what they do, right? Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Be, look, was, look if, if bears have sense of humor, I'm sure they were laughing to themselves. Oh, yeah. They're like, we're going to scare the crap yeah, out of this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, his little rubber waders. <laughs> so they, so, they, so they, they slapped the edge of the water, pulled up a salmon, each one of them, and started eating it. Just right in front of you. Just right in front of you. Any. So they're 20 feet in front of me now. Oh, my gosh. And they're staring at me, eating eye to salmon. eye, eating their salmon. 
It was the most surreal. So you cool quickly thing. reached in your bibs and pulled out a Snickers and ate it, and staring at the. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> what's this? See your salmon and raise you a sh- candy bar. But so so oh, that's after so scary. after probably I don't know it was less than a minute of them taking a couple of bites, you know, ripping some some flesh off of the. They they put the salmon respectively each one of their, their they put their salmon in their mouth. And they turned around and they galloped over the ridge. And that was the end of that. Oh my gosh, if you'd only had a camera. But, you know, the funny thing is, I knew I was dead. There was no doubt in my mind. Now, looking back, you say, they don't care about humans. They're just gorging themselves every you day on salmon. You didn't know that then. Well, at the time, Nobody knows. I, you know, you come 20 feet away from two grizzly bears, you don't think about... Well, really, there's no danger here because... No, there, yeah, no, not at all. So, no. I, honestly, I knew I was dead. There was no doubt in my mind that I was a goner. Oh, no my doubt. gosh. Yeah, all, all the uh, thoughts of quick escape, going down into the water, shrinking down into a puddle of nerves, uh, trying to swim away, jump away, run away. None of that occurred. You stayed calm, you stared at them, and you watched them almost come down and kill you. Yeah, Basically, pretty much. That was it. So, um, Larry, post bear, you know, I mean, this all happened. And afterwards, there's another probably a big amen, right? Amen. Good gosh. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. What, did, what went through your mind then at this time when you're reflecting on almost getting eaten by a bear? What went through your mind? Hmm. So there was a lot of relief. <clears throat> I hung on to the fishing pole, by the way. I didn't drop it or anything. And I you didn't try and swing it around swatting no. them. Oh, well, well, that would have been antagonizing an exercise in futility yeah that might have made him attack me right so yeah no there was a lot of relief obviously and then i thought wow how how close i mean this was just in your face kind of a you almost died kind of a thing yes at least in my way of thinking how close do we come to death all the time and don't even know it Mm -hmm. because it has to happen a lot i think i mean not with bears in in the wild that's kind of an anomaly but I'm thinking, you know, you, you leave your house two minutes later than you thought because you wanted to have a piece of toast or something, and you missed the pileup that would have killed you or something. I mean, yeah, what, we can't even imagine. And so it thought, I thought, okay, so my life's probably been preserved a lot of times. Maybe all of our lives have been. And wow, what does that mean? Um, what does that mean? How precious is life if it's almost snuffed out a lot of times how precious in, in, is in it our to lives you? and to me it's extremely precious i'm I've, I've read like every book on near-death experiences i think that's a cool thing mm-hmm. so many people have some such common experiences and and, and you know love and that they don't fear death afterwards and i think that's just really cool um but why don't we all you know how about how about if we can all feel that way and when look when death comes to me i'll be thrilled about it I, moving on is something i'm looking forward to but I want to prolong that for as long as I possibly can. Why? Because I love life. Okay. I love connections with people. I, I think I can do more. I think I can make more change, add more good, um, help people. I, that's, that's really what my life is about and what I hope to be able to do more you, of. You just don't know <clears throat> with each day that you're given, every single day of precious life, you don't know what you're going to accomplish in that one day. Because in just a brief moment of you almost being killed, in just a brief moment, something spectacular can happen. That you could influence somebody else's life, you can change yours, and you can go out of this life someday with that one extra nugget of experience that that really brought just a tender 
amount of, of uh, appreciation and experience that you'll, you'll hold on for eternity. So as you, as you think about that, um, it does really become precious when, when you look at this life, even the moments you have extra. For you, um, you've really felt like you really, every single day that you open your eyes, it, it's another awesome day. And, and uh, what, what can you do in life today, right? Every minute is, is precious. Every day is a gift. And um, we just never know when it's, you know, when, the, when your clock expires. What counsel would you give a listener that really feels like life is a bummer or life is really challenging? Life is hard. Life is depressing. Um, what would you tell those people that, that are really kind of like having a, um, a, a real downturn in their life where they don't know whether it's worth it or not? Yeah, boy, that is. So now we're getting into some deep stuff, right? Um, yeah. And I've, and I've been there too. Um, 2008, um, my wife and I lost everything financially. And I was pretty depressed. I really was. Um, but sadness and depression is as much a part of life as jubilance and joy. It really is. Mm-hmm. There are, life is meant to be cycled through in, in ups and downs, right? Um, and, and just getting through the tough times, by definition, means you're heading to better times. And the financial recovery we've made since 2008 has just been astounding. It's been so much fun to go through, and I'm glad I stuck around for it rather than self-terminating, right? Absolutely. And, um, but I think people who are seriously depressed are actually having a brush with death because depression, clinical depression, despondency, suicidal thoughts, you know, I mean, let's face it, a lot of people decide to pull the plug themselves and I think it, it probably in almost every case, if they hang on, get through it, and concentrate on other people and helping them and as a way to help themselves, I think that there's always something better around the corner. Things change, right? They do. Yeah. Things don't and stay high and they don't stay low. And life overall is pretty darn precious. So with that, let's slide into uh, number four, because uh, living on the edge and not knowing what life is going to bring you at any moment, tell us about the fourth stage. Here it is, number four. Happened just two months ago, so it's fresh in my memory. Um, and now you're <clears> how old? 60, 61 at the time. I've since turned 62. Okay. And uh, so Th- a little goodness. background, genetics, right? My father died of a heart attack at 64. My brother had a stent put in to clear a blockage 12 years ago. 11 years ago, I had a stent put in to clear a blockage. But two months ago, I woke up one Sunday morning with chest pains that I, I knew weren't... I, it, it, was go, it was serious. It was heart-related. This wasn't some pulled muscle or heartburn or anything like that. And uh, <clears throat> uh, having been a heart patient for a decade, I, I had uh, nitroglycerin pills. Never, uh, never used them. So, Larry, with with the nitro pills, tell us that don't really understand what yeah. they're for and how often. <clears throat> like, so, have you carried them with you for you know forever? You're supposed to carry them with you if you had something like a stent or a blockage, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the reason: nitroglycerin, when you put it under your tongue and it absorbs into those blood vessels um, in your mouth, it auto, it very quickly um, creates a gas in your blood called nitric oxide. Now that 
in the bloodstream makes all your blood vessels, arteries, everything dilates, everything opens up. And so blood flows more easily. So if there's a blockage, that will generally help open it up enough to let let oxygen and you know blood get to parts of your heart through those arteries. So anyway, I had never actually taken one in the 11 years since my stand. I never needed it, but I woke up that morning and said, I'm going to pop one of these pills. And so I did, and nothing happened. The pain stayed there. It's supposed to be an instantaneous kind of a you know change a relief. Or, or relief. I took a second one. Nothing happened. I chewed up a full strength aspirin. Nothing happened. I said, Jill, I think Jill is. Uh, well, she's my wife. <laughs> I said, I think we need to go to the hospital. Can you drive me to the hospital? And uh, so she did, and got into a hospital. They didn't have a catheter lab there, so they couldn't do an angioplasty. They couldn't do more stents. They couldn't do that. And where where we live here, this this branch of that of that hospital that didn't have one. So they, they started checking me out. And in about five minutes time, they said the helicopter will be landing soon. Do you know, pick then, you up, man, this is serious. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I knew it the minute I woke up, woke up uh, that morning, but so they put me on a helicopter, flew me um, to university of Utah hospital, got me in the stent lab and went in and found that um, my, my uh, LAD left anterior descending is the it's the widowmaker yeah, artery the widowmaker uh, it's a euphemism for the one that if it blocks 100 percent, you die i mean it kills the electrical impulses and it, and it blocks oxygen to a major part of the heart so this is the one where you clutch your chest and drop right the widowmaker hmm. so they said <clears throat> um yeah we uh we we put in some stents there to open that up but you should know that it was it was 100 percent blocked so I'm thinking to myself these days, uh, you could argue that I should have died that day with a 100% blocked Widowmaker artery, um, but for some reason I'm still here. And so again, here I am again, saying to myself, Larry. life is precious and maybe I've got more I can do. In fact, I have more time, so definitely there's more I can do. Sure. And w- how do I make my life meaningful. If I die of a heart attack in a week, what, what can I do in that week that's going to change things? How do I make a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs said? You know, how do I leave my mark with the people that I love? How can I help people that otherwise wouldn't receive it? What in the world can I do? This is the question I'm asking myself all the time. And when I look back to, the, to age 15, to in my 20s, and the BMW, and to the bears that decided I wasn't as tasty as the salmon, you know, as I look back on all of that and this heart experience... I think life probably doesn't have a whole lot of reason other than to love and to help each other. That's the conclusion I've come to. And I hope I can spend whatever days I have left, hopefully it's a lot, um, doing that. I, I just know in my heart, that's why we're here. So when it, when it was more, at moments when you just focus on yourself and what you need and what you want, and then you break out of that and you start really looking at how you can help other people. And, and, and add them in your journey and really affect their lives for good. Big difference, huge difference to you. All the difference. Yeah. All the difference. And so harking back to that, you know, having read all the books on near-death experiences, the most common experience, when the people meet that, that being that some call the Savior, some, you know, I, I don't want to get too much into religion here. It's just that people that come back from the brink, from death, say, and often say, I met a being of love. And, you know, a life review often happens. And 
a question sometimes comes, which is, what did you do with your life? You know, who did you help? What, what can you say about what you should have been doing? What's the report? What can, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I'm going to have that someday, that review, that interview, that, that meeting. I want to, I want to be able to say, I, I did the best I could with the time I had. So it's almost like you have an opportunity for some extra credit here. Like you have a report card <laughs> and, and, uh, now Larry Myler, you have a little bit of extra time to work on some additional projects. And this is going to be extra credit for your report card. And when you meet your maker and you look back on your life, um, it'll give you an opportunity to really go out leaving something behind uh, gaining as much as you can. Right. And I, and I think it's less about being able to, you know, proudly say I did these things. That's, that's not, that's, it may sound like that's what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the, the true joy and satisfaction that comes when you often are the only, maybe, maybe in some cases, the only help someone's going to get Maybe they desperately need you in that moment, whatever it is. And that's where the satisfaction comes. I'm not doing it for extra credit or a better report card or something like that. Good, but, good. Yeah. And for, for those, again, that are listening, there's an opportunity for every single one of us to help others and to be that person in someone else's life. We all need somebody, right? We do. Yeah. And we're all on borrowed time, too, I I think. From the moment we're born, we could die at any moment. And so our time really isn't our own. Don't take it for granted. Yeah. Yeah. This is a beautiful story. Um, this, is, this is a tremendous journey, and it's not done. And, and I hope that you're around. Uh, I hope we're all around for many more years to come. I'm glad that you're here um, to be my friend, our friend, and, and um, <clears throat> that the listeners are going to be able to listen to your story and, and how that affected your life and that they'll be able to connect in a, in a way with some of it, part of it, all of it, of what you just said, uh, to help them in their lives, you know, have a more rich, um, experience and, and have really good goals, you know, to be the best person that they can be. Maybe they don't have to be in a pair of, uh, fishing waders in a, in a river, and be attacked by bear, but live through your story and, and, and create a sense of gratitude and appreciation for this life. That's so precious. So you truly did have a close call with death. And, uh, we want to thank you for sharing that story with us. You're, you're a great person. We love you a lot. So, um, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You bet. And, uh, that is another episode of uh, close call with death with Larry Myler. And, um, we want to encourage you to, um, when you go out on uh, Apple Podcast or Spotify or any of these platforms to listen to A Close Call with Death, um, encourage you to subscribe to it so you can get uh, Larry's story and uh, share it with your friends um, so that this, this stories like this will help as many people that need it out there in the world. Um, and uh, we can use as much love out in the world as possible these days. So. Um, thank you so much for being with us until we hear from each other again. Um, stay alive to tell about it.